Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the March 6th, Monday, reading of the Fort Collins Coloradoan. My name is Megan. Today we will be reading the following main articles. Proposed 24-7 homeless shelter in Fort Collins draws questions from crowd. Here are answers. Written by Molly Bohannon and Pat Ferrier. Cubby's Legacy Fort Collins' dog, who supported mass shooting survivors across U.S., dies. Written by Sarah Kyle. Here's what Fort Collins legislators are up to. Written by Molly Bohannon. And following up with miscellaneous articles. Proposed 24-7 homeless shelter in Fort Collins, draws questions from crowd. Here are answers by Molly Bohannon and Pat Ferrier. Staff from the Fort Collins Rescue Mission and companies it's working with to build and design a new 24-7 shelter on North College Avenue answered questions from the public and went over early plans for the design at a neighborhood meeting Thursday night. Discussion around the plan to build a new trauma-informed facility for individuals experiencing homelessness drew about 140 people online and in person to the Thursday night meeting. And while some expressed support for the rescue mission's intent and goals to improve homeless services in the area, many voiced concerns about how the new shelter would impact safety and whether it was compatible with the neighborhood. The development application said the rescue mission gave careful consideration to the compatibility of the area and noted that not all portions of the space will be visible from the street and that landscape and streetscape will reflect a more urban character that aligns with the vision outlined in the North College Corridor Plan. In response to concerns around compatibility, Neighborhood Services Manager Marcy Yoder reiterated a number of times that the proposed site is in the Service Commercial District, which is zoned for a homeless shelter. The decision for the shelter to be located on this piece of property is not a question for tonight, Yoder said ahead of the presentation. That decision was already made. It does fit the zone 
It is an allowable use there. The neighborhood meeting was the last step in the process before the rescue mission can formally submit its application to the city. The design of the new shelter, which could change, straddles land currently owned by Fort Collins billionaire philanthropist Pat Stryker's Bohemian Cause and the city of Fort Collins. The city and Bohemian have been negotiating a land partnership that would help create more buffer between the shelter and homes to the west and create an area for stormwater retention. Outlined plans show the proposed facility will include beds for about 200 men and a large outdoor space, ensuring that people will not be turned away at night. It also ensures people will not be camping out around the building as there is safe, dignified space inside. There will be a large fenced backyard that is separated from the adjacent neighborhood according to plans. This space is far larger than any other outdoor spaces on similarly sized shelters and we trust that it will allow people to have space to rest within the shelter itself, according to planning documents. Though it's still in its early phase and no plans have been submitted, here were some of the most common questions and their answers from the meeting. Why is this being proposed now? The idea of building a larger overnight shelter in North Fort Collins has been in the works for more than three years. And put simply, Senior Director of Fort Collins Rescue Mission, Seth Forwood said, there's the need for it in the community. We've been full for a very long time, and we are out of space, he said. We have no more space to offer for those people who are seeking our help. Currently, the rescue mission's location on Linden and Jefferson Streets can house 106 men, and in the winter, they have an overflow shelter that's open only at night and can fit an additional 44. The new shelter will provide space for 200 men 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why was this land selected for the shelter? Out of six options, the Homeless Advisory Committee identified across town in 2019, the spot off of North College Avenue was identified to be the best to address the needs of the shelter, Forward said.
When asked why they didn't select an already existing building that could be shifted from its current use to a shelter, Forwood said while that would potentially be a quicker option than a shelter that will likely take two years to open, there wasn't the supply or a building willing to house them. In addition, Chad Holtzinger, president of ShopWorks Architecture, the firm working with the rescue mission, said adaptive reuse can often require as much or more work, actually, than building something from the ground up. And unfortunately, what you end up with is a shoehorn solution that doesn't actually meet the need particularly well, and you spend the same amount of money to get to that outcome. Who will be allowed in the shelter? The Fort Collins Rescue Mission operates a low barrier shelter, meaning they do not conduct background checks, require guests to be sober, or prohibit people from staying in the shelter because of criminal histories or other issues. The reason why we do that is because, especially in winter, the difference between coming into shelter and staying out of shelter is a life and death decision or a life or death circumstance, Forwood said. He added that while people may be concerned about who is staying there, it will be the same people that are out and about in our community now, except for now they will be accessing services in our doors rather than outside. The shelter serves only men. What about women and children who are experiencing homelessness? Forward said that when the city conducted research on its homeless population back in 2019, through forming the Temporary Homelessness Advisory Committee, they found that single homeless men were the largest demographic of homeless people struggling in Fort Collins. Our first priority is to serve single men experiencing homelessness because that was identified as the biggest need, Forward said on Thursday. There are other shelters in the community, like Catholic Charities and the Murphy Center for Hope, that provide services for women and families but the rescue mission will continue operating its space for men only. What safety precautions will be in place to ensure there aren't negative impacts to the surrounding areas? In response to concerns about loitering and safety issues around the new shelter, Forward asked people to think of their current location where they've managed to avoid 
having people sleeping on the streets, and have worked with neighbors to ensure there aren't safety threats. Fort Collins Police Chief Jeff Swoboda said police rely on the strong relationships they have with various shelters to ensure that if someone is repeatedly causing an issue, police can address it with shelter staff and enforce consequences. Swoboda also announced the creation of the Homeless Outreach and Proactive Engagement Team, or HOPE Team. That is new in the police force to address issues with people experiencing homelessness and is modeled after the department's mental health response team. It is going to be focusing specifically on those who are experiencing homelessness and it's about services. It is about making sure people are connected to what they need to be successful. Swoboda said, but it's also absolutely about enforcement, and it's also absolutely about consequences to that behavior, and so it's not, let's just give rides and continue to counsel people. If people are breaking the law out there, they'll be arrested, they will be cited, and we will be enforcing the law. Why was the shelter designed with trauma in mind? Holtzinger also spoke to the unique trauma-informed design of the shelter. The people who experience shelter here will have largely experienced in their life trauma, he said. So the building will be designed to be more comforting and less anxiety-inducing for guests. Harmful shelter settings create poor outcomes, he said. What we're proposing here is a purpose-built structure that addresses the kinds of things that we know about relative to how people experience the environment and how they're experiencing their body and the environment and what they need to really find an opportunity to flourish. He gave examples, including making sure there were views to the outside so people didn't feel stuck, good visibility inside so guests aren't on edge of potential threats, simple, warm designs, and features to provide comfort, and, above all, safety features to allow staff, the guests, and the neighborhood to feel comfortable with what's happening. Will Fort Collins Rescue Mission still operate on Linden and Jefferson Streets? when the new shelter is open. Forward said the rescue mission is not planning to operate two sites 
and will move all of its operations to the new shelter once it's open. He said right now, the plan is to sell their current location. What's next in the process? The rescue mission must wait at least 10 days from the date of the neighborhood meeting to submit its formal application to the city. After that, the application will be reviewed through an interrogative process that can be followed online. Staff will review the application to ensure every element meets city code. Then there will be a public hearing with the Planning and Zoning Commission. Forward told the Coloradoan after the meeting that his biggest takeaway from it was that there is support from the community and nearby neighbors and that they'll need to continue engaging the North Fort Collins community to learn how to provide a safer community good. The most important thing is that we already have people experiencing home homelessness impacting those neighbors or businesses right now, Forward said. We can do nothing and that's probably the worst case scenario. Or we can try to wade into the uncertainty of what this is together and discover we need all the voices here tonight as part of the solution. Molly Bohannon covers city government for the Coloradoan. Follow her on Twitter at M-O-L-B-O-H-A or contact her at M-B-O-H-A-N-N-O-N at coloradoan.com. Cubby's Legacy Fort Collins Dog, who supported mass shooting survivors across U.S., dies. By Sarah Kyle Tears and Smiles That's how Bonnie Fear described the last two days after saying goodbye to a dog that comforted people recovering from some of our nation's worst tragedies during the bulk of her nine years of life. I really didn't know you can do it at the same time, Fear said. You're crying and all of a sudden you're smiling because it's such a good memory of Cubby that's making you smile. Comfort Dog Cubby died Wednesday, surrounded by members of her Lutheran Church Charities team. Veterinarians at an emergency medical care facility had discovered cancer throughout her body after Cubby experienced health complications on Wednesday, Fear told the Coloradoan. The Golden Retriever came to Redeemer Lutheran Church through the program in 2015 as part of the national ministry that sends Golden Retrievers across the country 
to comfort those impacted by disasters and crises. We only go where we're invited and we never charge, said Fear, top dog for Comfort Dog Ministries at Redeemer Lutheran Church, which has a location in Fort Collins and another in Greeley. Fear was also one of Cubby's eight handlers in her lifetime and is the caregiver and a handler for the church's second comfort dog, Devereaux. In her first year as a comfort dog, Cubby responded to Roseburg, Oregon, following the fatal shooting at Umpqua Community College. Cubby was just 15 months old at the time, but even then was just opening doors for these people to talk. One of her handlers, Kathy Tripconi, told the Coloradoan at the time, It's a bridge to opening up and allowing the tears to flow and the stories to be told. Since that trip, Cubby responded to multiple mass shootings. She walked the grounds surrounding the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida in 2016. In Parkland, Florida, she visited the home of a survivor of the 2018 Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Massacre, where she just laid on the floor with her and snuggled right in for the longest time. It was so peaceful and very moving that Cubby didn't know this girl, but she knew what to do. Fear recalled in a conversation with the Coloradoan on Friday. Cubby knew. She knew what to do. She just knew when to sit, when to lay down, when to hug someone, or when to lean into them, Fear said. And last year, she took that gift of comfort to Uvalde, Texas, twice. Once shortly after a gunman killed 19 children and two teachers and injured 17 others at Robb Elementary School in late May, and again in September when students returned to school. Cubby and other responding comfort dogs went into classrooms during that trip and Fear recalled how the dogs brought kids together and got them talking to each other, not necessarily about the shooting, just anything, Fear said. Handlers are trained not to do a lot of talking because, frankly, there's not a whole lot to say, Fear said. We invite them to pet, and then we let the dog and the person take that relationship wherever it goes. Cubby also made regular stops closer to home, including to support those working in emergency dispatch, the Larimer County Sheriff's Office, and Fort Collins Police Services. 
Most recently, though, she was at worship at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Collins on Sunday. Though Cubby and Devereaux visit the Fort Collins and Greeley locations regularly, their trip to the Fort Collins Church Sunday was a last-minute schedule change. In a way, it was a blessing that Cubby was there and people got to see her, not knowing it was for the last time, Fear said. We've noticed a lot of those little things in hindsight, where Cubby was seen with people where usually she would not have. The ministry's work all goes back to tears and smiles, Fear said. They start tearing up, and they come. By the time they leave, they're smiling. No words need to be exchanged. Now Devereaux will carry on that legacy. Fear said Redeemer's comfort dog team was already in the process of acquiring a third comfort dog before Cubby's death. That dog is expected to join the team, which is the only Lutheran Church Charities comfort dog site in Colorado in the next year or so. Our ministry will carry on, Fear said. We will carry on Cubby's legacy because that's what God wants us to do. It's not about the dog. It's about the people. This is not a dog-loving ministry. You've got to love people. This ministry is about loving people, and these golden retrievers are our bridge to do that. They are our warm, furry bridges to connect to people who are hurting and in need. How to support Redeemer's Comfort Dog Ministry Learn more about Cubby's and Devereaux's work at Redeemer Comfort Dogs, where donations can be made in memory of Cubby. To read about the work of Comfort Dogs across the U.S., visit LutheranChurchCharities.org. Where Cubby Responded In addition to multiple regular local stops, Cubby responded to multiple locations across the U.S. during her time as a comfort dog. The below stops were included in a memorial post on her Facebook page. 2015, Roseburg, Oregon 2016, Orlando, Florida and Baton Rouge, Louisiana 2017, Houston, Texas, and Las Vegas, Nevada. 2018, Parkland, Florida, Santa Fe, Texas, and Thousand Oaks, California. 2019, Highlands Ranch, Colorado, and El Paso, Texas. 2020, Medford, Oregon. 2021, Boulder, Arvada, 
and Louisville, Colorado. 2022, Uvalde, Texas, and Colorado Springs. Here's what Fort Collins legislators are up to by Molly Bohannon. Even if you're interested, it can be hard to keep track of what's happening in the legislative session down in Denver. New bills seem to be introduced daily. Others are quickly making their way through the process. And maybe you really only want to know what your elected officials are doing. If that's the case, you've come to the right article. The Coloradoan put together a tracker of bills introduced by Representative Andrew Bosnack of House District 53, representing North Fort Collins, Representative Kathy Kipp of House District 52, representing South Fort Collins, and Senator Joanne Ginal, representing Larimer County's District 14. As the prime sponsors of these bills, our local lawmakers have introduced them and are working to carry them toward passage. This tracker will be updated each Monday at coloradoan.com with any new bills our elected officials have introduced, along with updates to the status of bills. Bills sponsored by Senator Joanne Ginal, Democrat, Fort Collins, SB 23-147, Regulation of Kratom. What it does, this bill, which would take effect July 2024, establishes minimum standards and labeling requirements for Kratom products and requires that Kratom products be registered with the Department of Revenue and receive a certificate of analysis before being sold. Kratom is a tropical tree native to Southeast Asia that can have stimulant effects in low doses and sedative effects in high doses, according to the DEA. Status under consideration. SB 23-144, Prescription Drugs for Chronic Pain. What it does, the bill allows a healthcare provider to prescribe, dispense, or administer a Schedule 2-5 controlled substance to a patient in the course of treatment for a diagnosed condition that causes chronic pain. The bill prohibits a healthcare provider from not taking or treating a patient because of their required dosage of a drug for the treatment of chronic pain. Providers are also prohibited 
from lessening a needed dosage to meet a predetermined dosage recommendation. The bill also prohibits a pharmacist, health insurance carrier, or pharmacy benefit manager from refusing to fill a drug on the basis of the dosage requirement. Status under consideration. SB 23-095 Unlawfully aiming laser device at aircraft. What it does. This bill makes it a felony for a person who knowingly points, focuses, or aims a laser device at an aircraft. Status under consideration. SB 23-074 Sunset Modify Human Trafficking Prevention Training What it does This bill continues state training for human trafficking prevention for seven years at the suggestion of a 2022 review of the training status under consideration SB 23-064 continue office of public guardianship what it does this bill continues the office of public guardianship indefinitely and requires it be expanded to every judicial district by the end of 2027. It is currently set to repeal on June 30th, 2024. Status under consideration. SB 23-044 Veterinary Education Loan Repayment Program What it does this bill updates the Veterinary Education Loan Repayment Program to allow six applicants annually, removes the requirement that they graduated prior to 2017, and increases the amount an applicant is eligible for from $70,000 to $90,000 over four years. Status under consideration. SB 23-041 Prescription Drugs for Off-Label Use What it does. The bill allows a licensed healthcare professional who can prescribe drugs to prescribe and administer a drug approved by the FDA for an off-label use without grounds for discipline by the state. Status under consideration. SB 23-032 Wildfire Detection Technology Pilot Program 
What it does, the bill gives $2 million to the Center of Excellence for Advanced Technology Aerial Firefighting and requires it to establish at least one remote camera technology pilot program and get or contract a system of remote pan tilt zoom cameras and associated tools to provide a live feed of information that can detect, locate, and confirm ignition in the wildland urban interface. Status under consideration. SB 23-013 Fire Investigations What it does This bill directs the Director of the Division of Fire Prevention and Control to report on investigations of wildland fires in the state and creates the Fire Investigation Fund to fund fire investigations. Status under consideration. SB 23-009 Limit opioid prescription and exemptions for intractable pain. What it does This bill prohibits prescribers from giving a patient a prescription for an opioid that will be dispensed or administered outside of a health care facility or the prescriber's practice location if the amount exceeds 90 morphine milligram equivalents daily. There are exemptions for patients who suffer from intractable pain. Status failed. Bills sponsored by Representative Kathy Kipp, Democrat, Fort Collins. HB 23-1001 Expanding Assistance for Educator Programs what it does. In addition to other changes to help increase the number of educators in the state, this bill broadens who is eligible for educator preparation stipend programs, broadens where the student can be placed, and broadens who is eligible for the Temporary Educator Loan Forgiveness Program. Status under consideration. HB 23-1017 Electronic Sales and Use Tax Simplification System. What it does This bill focuses on making improvements to the Electronic Sales and Use Tax Simplification System by 2025. It requires improvements 
designed to simplify some processes and requires the department to create a campaign to promote the system to increase awareness, participation, and compliance by retailers and local taxing jurisdictions. Status under consideration. HB 23-1091, Continuation of Child Care Contribution Tax Credit. What it does. This bill would give taxpayers who make a monetary contribution to promote child care in the state an income tax credit equal to 50% of the total value of the contribution. This is currently available for income tax years starting before 2025, but the bill would extend the credit for three years and increase the types of contributions that qualify to include in-kind donations of real property. Status under consideration. HB 23-1134 Require electric options in home warranties. What it does. This bill requires that as of January 1st, 2024, Every home warranty service contract that provides coverage for the replacement of any of certain gas-fueled appliances must allow the homeowner to replace the gas-fueled appliance with a similar electric device of their choosing. Status under consideration. HB 23-1143 Federal Authorized Firearms for DACA Peace Officers What it does This bill requires the Peace Officers Standards and Training Board to ask for authorization from the U.S. Attorney General for people with DACA status to possess a firearm as a certified peace officer or reserve peace officer. If the authorization is granted, every law enforcement agency would be required to amend their written firearms policy to implement the provided authorization. Status under consideration. HB 23-1147 Driver's License Examination Reimbursement What it does This bill prevents the Department of Revenue from collecting a fee when someone retakes a driving examination when the department does not administer the driving examination. It also requires the creation of the Affordable Driver Education Program Testing Enterprise to increase 
access to driver training and driving tests in underserved areas, deploy a free bilingual online driver training program, and reimburse private driving schools for conducting driving examinations required by state law. Status under consideration. HB 23-1161 Environmental Standards for Appliances What it does, current law establishes water and energy efficiency standards for certain appliances and fixtures sold in state and this bill updates the standards and expands which appliances and fixtures are subject to them. It also creates standards for heating and water heating appliances. Status under consideration. Bills sponsored by Representative Andrew Bosnecker, Democrat, Fort Collins. HB 23-1014, Yield to Larger Vehicles in Roundabouts. What it does. This bill requires a driver to yield the right-of-way to a driver of a large vehicle. Think delivery truck bus, emergency vehicle, or recreational vehicle when entering, exiting, or driving in the circulatory lanes in a roundabout. The bill also requires that when two drivers of large vehicles enter, exit, or drive in the circulatory lanes in a roundabout, at the same time, the driver on the right must yield the right-of-way. Status under consideration. HB 23-1190 Affordable Housing Right of First Refusal What it does. This bill gives a local government or assigned housing authority or political subdivision the first rights to match an acceptable offer for the sale of a residential or mixed-use multifamily property if they commit to using it as long-term affordable housing. After 50 years of affordable housing, the property can be converted to something else as long as notice is given. Residents are compensated for displacement and the local government guarantees development of at least the same number of affordable units in its jurisdiction. Status under consideration. HB 23-1209 Analyze statewide 
publicly financed health care. What it does, this bill requires the Colorado School of Public Health to look into legislation that would create a publicly financed and privately delivered universal health care payment system for Colorado that directly compensates providers. A report with findings is due December 1st, 2023. Status under consideration. HB 23-1215 Limits on Hospital Facility Fees What it does The bill prohibits a healthcare provider affiliated with or owned by a hospital or health system from charging a facility fee for health care services furnished by the provider for certain services, including outpatient services through telehealth and diagnostic services that are identified as being provided safely and effectively in non-hospital settings. The bill would make it a deceptive trade practice to charge, bill, or collect a facility fee when doing so is prohibited. Status under consideration. Steve A. Eberhardt, 91, of Cary, North Carolina, passed away peacefully in his sleep on March 1st. He was born on November 11, 1931, in Kia Paha, South Dakota, to Merle and Josephine Eberhardt. He grew up on a farm west of Bassett, Nebraska, and graduated valedictorian from Rock County High School. He received a B.S. in General Agriculture in 1952 from the University of Nebraska, MS in Plant Breeding, 1958, University of Nebraska, and PhD in Genetics slash Statistics, 1961, North Carolina State University. He married Laurel Hammond on July 19, 1953. He served four years as a pilot in the U.S. Air Force. He worked for 15 years with the USDA Agricultural Research Service as a research geneticist in Raleigh, North Carolina, Ames, Iowa, and Katal, Kenya. While in Kenya, he and co-workers developed a comprehensive breeding system published in 1967 to develop improved maize breeding populations and parental lines. He developed corn hybrids for Eastern Africa that were used extensively for more than 20 years to reduce hunger. 
During this time, he received Superior Service Awards and a Certificate of Merit from USDA. In 1970, he received the Arthur S. Fleming Award by the D.C. Junior Chamber of Commerce as one of the five outstanding young scientists in federal government. He served as vice president for research with Funk Seeds, a CIBA GEIG company, from 1975 to 1987. He directed and coordinated corn, sorghum, soybean, and sunflower breeding programs in the U.S., Argentina, Brazil, France, Italy, Spain, and Thailand. In 1987, he was named Director, National Seed Storage Laboratory, USDA, Fort Collins, Colorado, retiring in 2000. Steve was honored with a Lifetime Achievement Award from the University of Nebraska Department of Agronomy and Horticulture in 2019. He was an active member of Crop Science Society of America, serving as president in 1990. He is survived by daughter Lyndall Schuster and Paul Holzman of Northbrook, Illinois, son Paul and Lisa Eberhardt of Cary, North Carolina, daughters Sally and Roger Barth of Dunalyn, Florida, and Sue and Jeff May of Yankton, South Dakota. Eleven grandchildren and 14 great-grandchildren. A visitation for the family will be held at Brownwin Funeral Home in Cary on Sunday, March 5th at 1, followed by a graveside service at Wake Memorial Park at 3. In lieu of flowers, donations can be made to Transitions Hospice of Wake County. Thank you for joining us for the Fort Collins Coloradoan. My name is Megan. AINC programming is made possible by the Community Foundation of Boulder County. AINC presents your low vision resource of the day. Via Mobility Services, this organization provides paratransit, travel training, mobility options, information, and referral services. Learn more by visiting www.viacoloradio.org, calling 303-447-2848, or emailing info at v-i-a-c-o-l-o-r-a-d-o dot o-r-g. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado.